In this episode of Desert Island Torah, we have the Zichut of speaking to Rav Natan Farber. Rav Farber is the director of Student Life and a 10th grade Rebbe at DRS Yeshiva High School in Woodman, New York. He is also the director of Camp Dina for Girls and is known for sharing Torah in many creative ways on Twitter and in his classroom. Thank you so much, Natan, for joining us today. It's a real zakhut to have you with us. Thank you so much, Darcy. It is uh, such a pleasure to uh, to share some Torah thoughts with you and your listeners today. Um, are we just going to jump right in? Yeah, so it's Desert Island Torah, three pieces of Torah that you would take to a desert island. What do they mean to you? Why are they so important to you? Really looking forward to learning and finding out your three pieces. So if we jump right in, let's go with your first piece. Sure. So Desert Island Torah, I would just say that at the outset of this podcast, Darcy, I want to highlight that the theme of islands plays prominently in the Torah. And it's found in many sources, some obscure, but others that should be pretty familiar to us. So Darcy, if I might turn the tables on you for just a brief moment, uh, what is the Hebrew word for island? Uh, if you're, if you know the answer to that, and if not, I'll, I'll, I'll jump in. And, and can you tell me at least one place where islands are, are featured in Tanakh? Um, I don't know if any of your um, guests have, have mentioned this in their podcasts. Good question. Island is E? Yes, that's correct. Island is E or E-M in plural. Um, but as for where we can find islands in the Torah, so I'll give you a hint. We refer to it every Friday night, and it appears in Tehillim Perik Tzadi Zion, where we recite during Kabbalah Shabbos the following, Hashem Malach Togel Haaretz Yismechu Iyim Rabim. The Lord has reigned, the earth will exult, many islands will rejoice. Which just begs the question, what exactly are these islands rejoicing about? But there's another Pusik in Yeshaya, prophesying about Mashiach, the Navi cryptically writes, For his Torah, the islands shall yearn. Now, I'm sure that the Mepharshim, Darcy, have many suggestions as to what this means, but I would cheekily suggest that in the year 5783, their meaning has finally become revealed because they are both prophetically referring to your podcast, Desert Island Torah. For thousands of years, the lonely desert islands have longed to realize their unique potential in the vastness of Torah, and your podcast, Desert Island Torah, finally provides the islands a platform, a voice, and an elegant English accent as well. So yes, they are happy, and kudos to you for bringing these nevuot to fulfillment, Darcy. Thank you. <laughs> so with that, uh, allow me to present my my three Desert Island Torahs. And I, I have to be honest that when I first heard the scenario, I confess that the first thing that came to mind was not Torah per se. I've always been somewhat of a movie buff, uh, obsessed with film and media. And admittedly, my first reaction when you reached out was to my favorite Desert Island movie, and that is the 2000 movie Castaway starring Tom Hanks. And in the movie, Tom Hanks plays a high-strung, high-powered executive from the FedEx company, who, when flying on a business trip to Malaysia, uh, becomes the sole survivor of a plane crash that plunges him into the middle of the Pacific Ocean. And clinging to a life raft, he washes ashore upon a deserted island, together with some of the debris from the plane, including a number of FedEx packages. And the movie follows his odyssey of survival and fortitude and his quest to maintain sanity and humanity on an otherwise seemingly hopeless situation. And clearly, he did not bring three of his favorite Divrei Torah with him on that island. 
Now, while the central character fashions a companion out of a uh, volleyball, famously, who he calls Wilson and he speaks to throughout the movie, the character that Tom Hanks plays never raises his eyes, his eyes heavenward and cries out to Hashem for salvation to save him from that island. Nevertheless, I did glean some lessons from the movie, which I think in the context of actual Torah resonate powerfully. My working premise is taken from the movie, and that is that if a Jew would find him or herself on a desert island, his priority must be to get off that island. For in isolation, even in the presence of Hashem, a Jew can never fulfill his true destiny. So in that regard, my first Vartorah is perm-related since that holiday is upon us. You know, Megillus Esther introduces us to its main protagonist, Mordechai, with the following Pusik. Ish Yehudi haya b'shushan habira u'shmo Mordechai ben Yair ben Shimi ben Kish ishimini. And the Mefarshim point at an obvious anomaly in this Pusik. Mordechai is introduced first as Ish Yehudi and then as Ish Yemini. Which is it? Is he Yehudi or Yemini? And Rashi explains that all the Jews were exiled throughout the kingdom of Yehuda, and they were all called Yehudim, while Yemini refers to the fact that he was from Shevet Binyamin. But I want to suggest another layer of meaning to this cryptic Pasuk. The Gemara and Megillah tell us, tells us, Why were the Jews of the generation of Purim threatened with total genocide? And the students suggested, because they enjoyed the feast of Ahasuerus. We know that Ahasuerus made a great feast, and Chazal tell us that the Jews of Shushan participated in that feast and even included kosher food and wine. So this begs the question, was partaking in that feast so egregious to warrant complete destruction? So a parak in Tehillim provides a sobering perspective. When the Perak tells us about the Babylonian exile, that David Amelech paints this heart-wrenching portrayal of the Jewish people taunted by their enemies, just like the Nazis, who tormented the Jewish people when they demanded that they sing and dance for their amusement. The ancient Babylonians did the same thing. And this is a very, very famous Perak in Tehillim, Al Naros Bavel. By the rivers of Bavel, there we sat and we wept and we remembered Sion. We hung our harps upon the willow trees. But our captors demanded words of song, and our tormentors mocked us, saying, Sing for us the songs of Zion. Sing for us. Dance for us. Just like the Nazis did. But we responded, Eich nashir eshir Hashem alad mas nechar. How can we sing the song of Hashem on foreign soil? And then our ancestors took a solemn oath, one that you, Darcy, will recognize from any chuppah that you've ever visited. Imeshkachich Yerushalayim tishkach yemini. If I forget you, Jerusalem, may my right hand be forgotten. In effect, we were promising that if we ever forgot or forsake Jerusalem, we would forfeit, forfeit, we would forfeit our right to exist. So, what became of that promise? After we were spent a time in Gullus, we became too comfortable. We moved up the ranks of Persian society, and we were even invited to the royal banquet of Achashverosh himself. But what happened at that meal? The Megillah tells us that we were served food on the actual kalim from the base of Mikdash. And much to our shame, we enjoyed that meal. And even as the vessels of the base of Mikdash stared us in the face, we ignored their message. We forgot Yerushalayim. We violated the sacred oath and we forfeited our Yad Yamini. But there was one lone Jew who remained faithful to that promise. 
He protested our participation at the feast. He refused to forget. He was not just Mordechai HaYehudi, he was Mordechai HaYemini, because he remembered his Yad Yemin. And he was entitled to be called Ishimini because only he could turn the tide of our destructive path and save his broken nation. And so my first Vartorah Torah teaches the lesson that no matter where we are, even on a deserted island, we must never forfeit our Yemin, our right hand. If we forget Yerushalayim, that does spell utter disaster for us. We must never forget where we truly belong. Absolutely. That's such a powerful message. Um, that Pasuk Ishihudi, it's a really one of the really strong ones in the Megillah that really stand out. Um, I, I guess Mordechai was the one Jew with a commitment and a sense of responsibility, and he proclaimed the doctrine of commitment. And I think that's such an important thing to think about, having that commitment to who we are and our identity. Absolutely. And again, stuck in a desert island, you got to get off that island, because if, if, you, if you're stuck there with just yourself... You're not contributing to the greater society, and uh, and and that's really what I wanted to talk about in my second Devar Torah, and that's the essential dilemma that's at the heart of being on a desert island. Now, some might argue that being on a desert island in solitude with no one else present but you and Hashem provides incredible opportunity to connect with Hashem in a, in a profound and intimate way, and and that's true, but it falls way short of the mark of what it means to be an Ish Yehudi, a Jew. For it's only through the interaction and performance of chesed with others that one achieves that one achieves his highest destiny and his closest connection to Hashem. And we illustrate that in really one of my all-time favorite Divrei Torah. And it begins with a very simple question recorded by the Rashba in his collected Shaila Suchuvos, Volume 1, Responsa Yudches. And he addresses a fundamental Shaila. You know, Jews, Darcy, are obsessed with making brachos. We're supposed to make 100 brachos a day. We make brachos all day on food, <laughs> on visiting the bathroom. We also recite brachos before performing mitzvot. Same preamble. Baruch atah Hashem elokeinu melech olam asher kedishanu b'mitzvosu Blessed are you, Hashem, our God, King of the Universe, who has sanctified us through his mitzvos and has commanded us to perform the particular mitzvah that we're about to perform. Thus asked the Rashba. Why don't we recite a bracha on giving charity to the poor? On Purim, there's no bracha on Matanas Lev Yonim, or Shalach Manos for that matter. And if you think about it, no bracha on any mitzvah beit anum lechavero. Biker cholim, hachnasas orchim, nicham avelim. Why no birchas mitzvah on any interpersonal mitzvos? My preferred answer to this question, and there are many offered by the Rishonim, but my, my preferred one is offered by the Rishbe Eish, who is a great-grandson of the Chassam Sofer, who I am also a descendant of. It is rooted in an amazing story recorded in the Gemara Tainus about Nachum Ish Gamzu. Gamzu Latoa, we're famous with that phrase. Where does it come from? And I want to tell you an amazing story, Darcy, that I'm sure you're familiar with. Amru Alav al-Nachum Ish Gamzu, they said about Nachum Ish Gamzu, he was blind in both of his eyes. Both of his hands were crippled. His whole body was full of boils. He lived in a shoddy house. He was afflicted with the worst maladies imaginable, Darcy. Dilapidated home on the verge of collapsing. And one time, his students came over to him and they wanted to change some of the some of the furniture in his house to give him some new couch, a new bed, something that he can sleep comfortably on. And he said to his students, first remove the furniture and then remove me. 
because if you remove me from the house, the house will immediately fall down. It is only in my zechus that this house is standing up. Remove the vessels first. And his Talmidim said to him, Rebbe, if you're so worthy that this house can stand up for it, why is it that Hashem afflicted you with such terrible maladies, such terrible afflictions? And he said, here's what happened. I was once traveling on the road and I was traveling with donkeys laden with all kinds of delicacies. And I came upon a poor person on the road and he said to me, Rebbe, Parnasani, offer me some food. I'm hungry. I'm thirsty. Amartilo. And I said to him, Nachum Gamzu said to this poor person, Hamtain, wait a moment, until I come off my donkey. And here's the kicker. I didn't get off my donkey before this poor man dropped dead right then and there. And I fell on my face and I said to myself, my eyes that didn't have mercy on your eyes, you poor person, you so much should go blind. And my hands that didn't work quick enough should go limp. And my 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 feet that didn't run fast enough, they should be dismembered. And 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 my entire body filled with shin. Amru lo, the student said, Ailanu sheri And his Talmidim said, Rebbe, woe to us that we see you like this. And he said, Woe to you if you didn't see me like this. What is going on in that story? I think there is one very important word in that story, and that is the word, Hamtain. You see, when the Ani came over to Nachamish Gamzu and said, Rebbe Parnasani, give me some of your delicacies, he said, sure, wait a moment until I get off my high horse or donkey in this situation. And that was Nachamish Gamzu's mistake. He said, wait just a moment, but even that short moment proved too long. So now we get back to the question of the Rashba. Why no bracha on the mitzvah tzedakah? In light of Nachamish Gamzu's tragedy, the answer is obvious. For imagine, if you will, Darcy, that a poor hungry soul knocks on your door and cries out, Darcy, please give me something to eat. And you reply, Hamtain, wait a moment. I, I need to go back into my house. I need to make a bracha on this mitzvah. The bracha of tzedakah. But of course, before making a bracha, I, I, I have to have the right kavana, And I have to sit and I have to think and I have to concentrate. And of course, making a bracha, you know, I mean, it takes a lot of concentration. And, you, and, and with great concentration, you close your eyes and furrow your brow and, and relish each and every word. And intoxicated with the holiness in the moment, you're finally ready to perform this great mitzvah tzedakah. And you open your eyes and what do you see? a poor lifeless man lying across the threshold of your home. Why? Because the rabbis knew that when it comes to interpersonal mitzvah starsi, there is no time to wait. You jump immediately. There is no hamtain. There is no waiting. As Nachum Gamzi taught us, you jump immediately. There is even no time to make a bracha. When someone comes to your door in the need of food, the rabbis allowed us to skip the bracha. All other brachos and mitzvahs have bracha, but the interpersonal mitzvahs jump at the opportunity. You've got to do it right away. And that is another important lesson 
stuck on an island, you and HaKadosh Baruch Hu alone, the main mission of a Jew is to help another Jew immediately, as soon as you can. That is Absolutely. the... Uh... Yeah, we couldn't agree more. Um, really, really powerful um, and really inspiring. Thank you. So should we go uh, into your sure. third piece? We'll, yeah. we'll feed uh, into my into my third piece. And this this really does feed directly into the third idea. And that is about tefillah b'tzibor. What is the power of tefillah b'tzibor? Why, why do we daven with a minion? Yes, we believe that there's a supernatural component in communal prayer. The z'chus of the tzibor is never to be taken for granted. As the Gemara and Brachos says, E'en HaKadosh Baruch Hu mo'es b'tfilas and shalrabim. That HaKadosh Baruch Hu loves when people daven together. But there is also, I believe, a very practical aspect to tefillah b'tzibor. And that is centered in the responsibility that each and every one of us has to make sure that our fellow Jew is taken care of, as we've referenced in the last of our Torah. Because when all the prayers are said and done, Darcy, the realm in which tefillos are answered lies in the sphere of human interaction. When we daven for parnasa, we are answered when the person next to us hires us for a job or presents the next great deal. If I pray for refuah, I'm answered when I find the right doctor with the compassion and skill to administer the right cure. When we are misfollowed for a good shidduch for our children, we're answered when the phone rings with a suggestion that turns out to be the one. In effect, then, with the energy and spirit that Hashem invests in each and every one of us, we have the power to become, to be the answer to somebody else's tefillah. The Gemara Masachasota Davches relates that Avram Avinu's primary tool in bringing people to the recognition of God was not the strength and force of his intellectual argumentation. Rather, it was something far more mundane, good old-fashioned Jewish food. Shulent, kishka, a hot potato gogol, and yes, some tongue that he offered to the three malachim. He would feed the hungry and he would slake their thirst. But when they thanked him, Avraham proclaimed, V'chim did you eat my food? No. Michel Eloke Ola Machaltem. Holdu. Vishavacho. Uvarcho. Lemisha Amar Vahaya Olam. Avram would explain that he was merely Hashem Shliach, his agent to channel divine blessings into the world. In that way, Avraham introduced a world steeped in paganism to the one almighty, almighty creator on high. The lesson to be gleaned from Avraham is that we are all Hashem's agents to bring blessings into the lives of our fellow Jew. And in fact, when we come to Shul and Davin B'tzibor, in addition to asking Hashem to grant us our own requests, it is incumbent upon each and every one of us to look around us, to take note in particular of those who appear to be forlorn, forsaken, or on the brink of despair. My Rebbe, Rabbi Aryeh Leibowitz, often mentions that when he sits up at the, and you should have him in the future on the, on, on the podcast, but when he sits up on the bima, uh, or on the stage rather, from his vantage points and looks out at all the various congregants, and he can look into the eyes and sees a tear coming down the cheek of one of his congregants, he, from that vantage point, knows there's something I have to do. And that's what tefillah b'tzibur is all about. It's not just about asking HaKadosh Baruch Hu for what we want. It's looking around and seeing, how can I be the answer to somebody else's tefillah? Plainly formulated, this proposition can be encapsulated as follows. Maybe more important than the prayer we offer to the Rabboni Shalom is the prayer that we answer on behalf of the Rabboni Shalom. Or to paraphrase John F. Kennedy in his famous inaugural speech when coming to participate in Tefillah B'Tzibor, ask not what God can do for you. Rather, ask what you, as God's shliach, can do for others. So, 
on that desert island, yes, I will dive into Hashem for my immediate needs and for my rescue. But sensitized to the plight of loneliness and the sense of being completely cut off from civilization, we have to be mindful of those who are standing right next to us in shul and are nevertheless also lonely and isolated, that they may as well be on a desert island. Let's dive in for them. More importantly, let us embrace and rescue them in a more concrete way that we can. And to close the loop on Castaway, that movie, having been rescued and brought back to civilization, Tom Hanks's character completes a mission he set out to perform from the moment he found himself on that desert island. And that was to leave one of the FedEx packages sealed and eventually deliver it to its intended recipient. You see, in the movie, there's one box that comes up on shore that has a picture of wings. He doesn't open it. It might have been a satellite phone that could have been his, his savior, but he doesn't open it because throughout his time on the island, he knew there had to be a sense of mission and a sense of purpose to get off that island, to deliver that last box. The commitment to serve others provided the impetus to survive and make it back. And in true Hollywood fashion, that addressee was a beautiful woman who he gazes, with, gazes at wistfully even after she departs from him, leaving the audience to wonder whether he would chase her down and find his true love. But when we do chesed, we in fact bond most closely with our beloved Father in Heaven and with each and every Jew. The, des the, deserted, island, the deserted island transforms into a joyous place of islands, Iyim Rabim, rejoicing in Hashem's majesty and salvation. Absolutely. That's really, really powerful. Um, I guess when thinking about like a Sibor, um, when Hashem gave us the Torah, it was with a Sibor, which was about moving forward as a collective. And the collective is a guarantee that the Torah is going to continue generation after generation. So what we call a Misora. Um, I think that's a really powerful way to connect to that. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I just I just love your your idea, your podcast, Darcy. I just love uh hearing all the various guests and, and their own spins and their own uh just their own uh you know uh ways of answering this question. So many wonderful personalities and so many wonderful people to learn from and to teach uh Torah that you're uh, you're really doing a great thing by uh by really uh, letting the world hear from so many wonderful personalities. And you've been doing a great job and you should uh Hashem should give you the strength to keep this up uh, and to really uh, to keep up all the great work that you're, that you're doing. Thank you so much. Um, but yeah, just to add, this is a very personalized um, podcast. We really try and bring a personalized experience for all our guest speakers. So they can really, um, you know, experience the Torah in the way that speaks to them. And we really appreciate you coming on and being a part of that. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Desert Island Torah. Feel free to share our podcast with family and friends so that we can reach out to Amisra. And if you enjoyed that episode, please feel free to download and subscribe. And if you want to discuss your own Desert Island Torah, get in touch at desertislandtorah at gmail.com. Thank you again for listening.